Welcome to episode 56 of Contested Catch. It's time for our week seven recap where we take a look back at what happened this weekend, start talking about some waiver wire, talking about some injury fallout and updating based on what we know right now and obviously some fantasy football takeaways uh, based on the games. So first, Jeff, welcome back, my friend. Uh, How is everything going on your end? Oh, you know, finally, finally took an L this week. Will you did. You did. it's fine. Six and one, nothing, nothing to be up too upset about. We'll go six and zero down the stretch, win the second title this year. It'll all be good. Man, that would be be the most fraudulent season of all time. <laughs> uh, Jeff actually does this really cool thing for our league, um, our, our competitive home league that we reference a good bit. He does this cool thing where he's able to calculate what is it, Jeff, based on uh, median. Uh, points for and points against in the league he calculates basically expected wins and so we can kind of get a sense of who's fraudulent who's getting more wins than they should have that sort of thing rather than just cherry picking oh you only won by two points in this week um so and also win probability uh, or not win probability um probability of making the playoffs based on your record and remaining schedule is that correct yeah um that playoff probability thing i didn't make myself uh so okay i gotcha um online friends with shared it with me but uh yeah it's a great tool for sure it it is it's cool it's just cool to have that for our league because you know it's kind of like a something that an nfl that you know is used in the nfl and um so it's anyway super extra. That, it's super extra it's super extra i i enjoy it though because well i just get a, a quantification of how absolutely shitty my season has been <laughs> despite <laughs> i'm pretty pretty uh I mean, happy with look, my team you, if you're not, if your fantasy league's like not super extra, is it even a real fantasy league? I agree, man. I, I can't take it any less seriously than I do already. <laughs> um, okay, good stuff. So, I mean, we're going to get into the injuries and the takeaways and everything and talk about some bills at the end as well. Uh, first, Jeff, let's just do our DFS recap and talk about how this weekend went. Um, obviously, not exactly the way we wanted to go. We've had, I guess we could say we're in a, not even necessarily a rut, but just not hitting those highs that we were in the first like four or five weeks. Um, so why don't you tell us your takeaways from this weekend? Yeah. So this was, this was our weakest week since I rebuilt it. Um, I mean, I, we've had some good plays. For example, we had a good amount of Justin Herbert and who was the QB one on the week, but uh, where like that kind of came up short is his receivers were like, like Keenan Allen was wide receiver 13 and, um, and then, so, and then nobody on Jacksonville that we ran it back with hit. Uh, so I think like part of it is I was adjusting the way that I built the lineups on the coding side the morning of and didn't have a lot of time to go through and like do more individuals. Like for Herbert, probably what we should have done is uh, A. Throwing in some Jalen Guyton. Well, I'm sure we had him stacked a little bit, but like, I mean, he was still only wide receiver like 17 or so. And then Keenan Allen was 13. So really, I should have done more single stacking. But then the uh, other thing is on the run back, there was nobody on Jacksonville who, like, from the receiving options side that would have run back. What I needed to do was allow James Robinson to be in the run back, which I, I did for Melvin Gordon in our Patrick Mahomes lineups. I didn't do that for the James Robinson, allowing him to be a run back for Herbert. So like, that's a small, just like a small tweak like that could have caused things to hit. 
I mean, when we had max exposure on Devontae Adams, we had a good amount of Tyler Lockett. We had a good amount of DJ Moore, AJ Brown. Um, we had like a decent exposure to the Cincinnati pass catchers and Tyler Boyd was a top 10 receiver this week on the running back side. I think we were missing Jeff Wilson. Um, and we, I had like a good a little overweight on Antonio Gibson, who was another good play this week. Alvin Kamara, we were max weight on, um, you know, he was just a touchdown away from like really hitting, like he had a fine week and he wasn't ruining lineups, what he probably needed at that price point and chalk level needed another touchdown to really hit. So, you know, it's not like we, we weren't that far off. It was just with our plays, it's just the way the builds were set up that, uh, you know, it just was just, didn't have the builds as tweaked as necessary for the week, I think, and didn't end up with like the same players being like lined up correctly. And that's going to happen. So the good, the good news is that we can take away a very clear, um, you know, item from week seven and say, okay, so we need to focus more on, for instance, the running back, um, run it back stack with James Robinson being a clear example. But Jeff, I want to ask you about that real quick, just for people who are maybe hand building or or just listening to this so that they can put in a lineup or two each weekend. Um, when you're evaluating like a running back as a part of the game stack for the quarterback and, and the other pass catchers on the other side, um, in this case, obviously, it would be Herbert, let's say, plus Keenan Allen. And then you want to run it back with James Robinson. Are you evaluating that running back from a, okay, this could be a pass catcher, um, on the other side, or are you thinking about the game script and like, well, it's very like a, this other team is going to be more run focused while this, the, the team that I'm really stacking is more pass focused. What is going into that evaluation? Or are you so more so just saying this guy's probably going to lead his team in points? Um, it's, just, it's a little just like case by case. So, um, you know, with the hindsight for week seven, I'd probably say, look, James Robinson is just a really good player. He has a ton of volume and, you know, he's probably going to get like a safe workload and the passing attack for Jacksonville isn't that prolific. So yeah, maybe DJ Chark or Keelan Cole or Chenault hit, but like Robinson also has just as good a chance of hitting as the, they do. Um, and up like for the Broncos chiefs game, I was looking at it that look, the chiefs are a bit of a uh, running back funnel defense. And we could see a situation where the chiefs get up big and then uh, they take away a lot of the deep stuff and leave lock to check it down to like Melvin Gordon, who racks up a bunch of receptions that way. Um, you know, we did that last year with the Chiefs Patriots game where I said, look, hammered, hammered James White. Now he is a clear receiving back where he's you know, basically a receiver. So that's a little bit different. So just kind of a case by case. Okay, that makes sense. I was just curious because I think that's a good, uh, I think it's a good conversation to have because obviously, you know, that would have worked really, really well this week uh, in that perfect scenario. So, um, okay, good stuff. Let's move on to our injury update section now where we can start with, unfortunately, the biggest and obviously biggest injury in week seven, which was Oda Buckham Jr.'s ACL tear. So obviously that is going to do him in for the rest of the season. A uh, big loss for Cleveland. Very unfortunate and to uh, his season, obviously, his time in Cleveland has just not been what anyone was expecting. And, you know, it is what it is, I suppose. He's very likely to be back in 2021. But I suppose, you know, he hasn't really given them, like, must-hold 
value. Like he, I, I think Cleveland has a chance to potentially move on from him in terms of a dynasty perspective. Uh, if they somehow trade him, if they don't want to pay him, that's that salary is guaranteed for injury uh, based on if he's there on the, the active roster. But we'll see. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about OBJ replacements in the waiver wire section. But Jeff, I would first want to just talk about Cleveland as a whole now. And I think this bodes very well for every other pass catcher for the Browns. Baker was phenomenal against the poor defense, albeit uh, after throwing an interception early in the game. He came back for five touchdowns. He had, I think, 18 or 19 straight completions and then finished that run since the uh, since the interception. 23 for 24. I mean, it, it was just he couldn't be stopped. He threw two to Harrison Bryant, one into Joku, one to Kareem Hunt. Um, you know, he just was on fire. Um, initially, you'd think OBJ's injury would kind of just hurt Cleveland overall because, I mean, he's a great player. He was helping move them into scoring position, that sort of thing. But I don't know, man. I mean, Austin Hooper should be back. He was already leading the team in pass volume the past couple of weeks. Kareem Hunt, we know, is a very effective pass catcher. This was a pretty crowded skill position group to start the year. And all of a sudden, you know, Richard Higgins is coming in. We're going to talk about him. But I think this might actually end up being a good thing for Cleveland pass catchers uh, and, and the running game as well, as it just gets more and more condensed. But we know the volume is still necessary. So what are your thoughts there? Um, I mean, I think it's still it's not good for like the team or offense from the fantasy perspective. Um, I think Harrison Bryant's probably the big winner. In that regard, um, you know, he's kind of been getting an increased volume and snap count as the season goes on. There's the possible David Njoku trade looming, which if that happens, locks him in as being like, you know, top uh, receiving option. Yet, yeah, even if Hooper comes back, they've run a lot of uh, two tight end sets. And then with no wide receiver one, like in that offense anymore, like really does open things up. Um, and the receiving side, Jarvis Landry is still really struggling. Um, I mean, he's also banked up recovering from that hip injury that we mentioned in the offseason. So and I, I think Rashard Higgins is like pro- probably worth a waiver wire added as well. OK, yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about him and Bryant in the waiver wire section. For now, let's move on to Arizona. Uh, Jeff, I'll just reiterate one more time because I really want to give us a pat on the back. We were so spot on in Arizona. Chase Edmonds, again, looked like the far superior player to Kenyon Drake and not going to tout because, you know, I didn't say at the beginning of the season, hey, Kenyon Drake's going to get a high ankle sprain in week seven. But one of the things was Kenyon Drake never pulled away in any sort of backfield that he was in, I think, since high school. Uh, and he, you know, kind of similar to like my Damian, uh, Damian Williams fade argument from last year. Um, this isn't a guy that we've seen carry the load, someone that we feel really confident about handling a large workload and guess what he comes away with an ankle injury chase Edmonds already looked like the better player now he should have probably two weeks um, or so of the backfield to himself well guess what when he had that backfield to himself for one week last year he went off for 150 yards and three touchdowns against the giants uh in week seven he got his five carries after Kenyon drake went down and he had 58 rushing yards on them so that's obviously hyper efficient he also was like the only receiving option out of the backfield, seven catches, 87 yards in week seven. I mean, he's putting up Kamara-esque numbers as a receiver in this backfield as well when given enough volume. So, Jeff, I, it's totally Chase Edmonds season for me. I'm seeing a lot of fantasy sites saying RB2 volume or RB2 level. Dude, I, I mean, I think he's legitimately an RB1 play uh, the way that this offense is rolling all of a sudden. 
And I think, you know, probably low, low end. I'm not saying it's like top five, but based on what we've seen him already doing in limited work, now we know that there's really, I mean, you know, Benjamin is not going to siphon off a Chase Edmonds like workload the way that Chase Edmonds did to Kenny and Drake. So I think what we saw from uh, workload wise, Chase Edmonds last year in one week of relief duty for David Johnson, I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. If he can hold up, he's going to be a smash. I'm buying Chase Edmonds. What What are your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, I agree. You can probably you can absolutely fire him up as an RB one um, after Arizona's bye. And I mean, like, really, would you rather have be starting Zeke Elliott or Chase Edmonds in Week Nine? Like, I think that's a legit question. I think I think I'd rather go Chase Edmonds. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I, I'm so with you. Like, yeah. So I think that's really uh, like a legitimate like um like tier comparison then i'd rather go Edmonds. i think at this point yeah and i think what bodes really really well for chase Edmonds as well this is a a cheeky thing uh if you, if in dynasty i think you should be smashing the chase Edmonds button because guess what he fits he checks all the boxes because number one he's going to help you win this year he's going to help you contend this year because he's probably going to be dominant the next couple weeks and number two i don't think he's going to relinquish the job back to Kenyon drake once Kenny Drake returns, and even if he does, Kenny Drake's going to look even worse. We know that, and we've talked about it all year, high ankle sprains continue to dog players throughout the rest of the season. So that's number two. And number three, Jeff, Kenny Drake got signed to a transition tag deal, something I've pointed out every time we've talked about him. He was not committed to long-term, even though Kime, the GM, specified that, oh, yeah, we want Kenny Drake as part of our long-term plans. That felt very like a very weak endorsement and something that was just kind of put kicking the can down the road. Guess what? I think if Chase Edmonds runs away with this job, I think they'd be fools to re-sign Kenny Drake, considering he's already been more than replaceable uh, with the workload he's gotten in twenty nine in twenty twenty rather. So, I think he's a short term buy and a long term buy, all in, in the same package. Um, moving on now, Jeff to Tampa Bay. Chris Godwin fractured a finger very quietly. By the way, he had a great game, then all of a sudden it comes out on Monday that he fractured a finger. Already underwent surgery for it. Is already ruled out for Week Eight. I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously receivers need their hands. Um, I think that's pretty clear. I think the timeline that we saw for the for the torn UCL ligament in the thumb of Jalen Ragor surprised me. So I'm not going to even really posit a timeline for Chris Godwin. It doesn't sound like it's that serious of an injury, but I mean, what do you think? Is this a is this a chance to sell Chris Godwin? Is this a chance to buy Chris Godwin? I think it's a chance to sell Mike Evans. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I think Mike Evans has had a like very low target share with Chris Godwin in the lineup. And then as we all know, Antonio Brown will be rejoining the, or will be joining the team shortly. So I think um, whether it's this week, like leading up to the game or following what will probably be a lot, like one of his better, like last good game in week eight and then sell him. Um, I think that's really the way to approach this. Yeah, I I, uh, I think if you were going to try to sell Mike Evans, this is what you should reference. Uh, this is a tweet from at late round QB. That's obviously JJ Zacharyson. This was going to be and probably still will be in the contested catch up this week. So make sure to sign up and check it out. Um, but anyway, the, the splits with and without Chris Godwin are startling for Mike Evans without Chris Godwin, without 21 points uh, on average per game. PPR points, that is 22.8% target share per game. With Chris Godwin, 7.3 PPR points per game, 8.8% target share. That is 
obviously he's like unusable in the latter in the latter part of that. So uh, definitely, definitely monitor the situation. I would not be going out to buy Mike Evans personally because we already know he's a hyper volatile player. We already know that his fantasy value has basically been sustained by red zone work. And guess what? Gronk apparently is back. Uh, this is still a, a pretty not run oriented team, but a, a team that is very comfortable running the football. And now they got Antonio Brown. So with that said, I'm with you, Jeff. Um, okay, so we already mentioned him a little bit, but Jeff Wilson, Jeff, another Jeff. He erupted for 17 carries, 112 yards and three touchdowns. Unfortunately, followed by an ankle sprain. It was a, apparently a fear of a torn ankle ligament. Obviously, we know a sprain is a partial tear. Um, it sends him to IR. And, you know, I think the worst part about that was that he really broke through and then he got injured while getting tackled into the end zone on a pretty easy play. That's unfortunate. I think, and this is not at all to sound negative about Jeff Wilson as a player. Happy for him that he was able to have another big game because he's done that a couple times in his career. But I was tweeting about this before the injury, man, and it's like, you know, tongue in cheek. But are we really going to say that like Jeff Wilson's like, you know, a generational talent, um, you know, this guy that, of course, you know, this is justifying his second round ADP. <laughs> like, you Gener- know, generational of, name, though. Generational name, 100%. Uh, that's actually Jeff Will son. I mean, dude, that's he's oh, my God, he should be a CC darling. <laughs> But but anyway, I mean, I think the point with this is, look, San Francisco's scheme makes the running back, not the other way around. This is basically a microcosm of my take about Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert goes down. Jeff Wilson puts up better a better game than Raheem Mostert has had all year, um, better game than Jarek McKinnon's had all year. And Jarek McKinnon was already proving the Raheem Mostert take right. So to me, man, I was starting to come off my fate of Raheem Mostert because he kind of looked like he was actually warranting volume in that offense. Well, guess what? We're right back to where we started, I think. And that's this backfield. Whoever has the hot Shanahan at the time is going to do well. Jeff Wilson did that. Um, We're going to talk about who potentially could replace him in that backfield, not named Jarek McKinnon. um, And we will talk about that in the waiver wire section. But Jeff, now it is time to talk about Allen Robinson. Uh, He had a potential. He has a potential concussion. This is potential because I have not heard any confirmation that he's actually in concussion protocol or anything like that. But he left early after um, his head hit the field very, very hard. Apparently, Um, the contact shook him up. He did not return. He only had four targets on the game. Four for 70. Still what a beast. Um, Allen Robinson, Jeff, any concerns about his week eight availability at the moment? Um, Not really. I mean, if. He is placed into concussion protocol being on the short week. That'll make it unlikely. But otherwise, like they said, we haven't heard anything. So if he's healthy, you play him. Good stuff. Um, Debo Samuel, my heart. This one really hurts, man. Um, I was so excited to talk about Debo Samuel's usage in this episode. And then towards the end of the game, uh, very unfortunately, Debo Samuel comes up with a hamstring pull. Uh, he's yet to shake the injury prone label since coming out of school. He was injured a lot in college, but obviously was dynamic, unbelievable playmaker, early second round pick has, uh, had an up and down career so far in terms of really, really productive when healthy, not always healthy. Um, so it already looks like a two week absence. They already ruled him out of this coming week. They already said he's basically questionable, if not doubtful for the following week in week nine. Um, man, I gotta say it's, it's going to be tough to hold on to Debo Samuel right now because, when he's healthy, he's been really good. He, I mean, he I was tweeting about it all game. He was constantly getting running back looks as well, which was fantastic. I mean, Kyle Shanahan is using him exactly as I would have, which was using him out of the backfield, 
getting the ball in his hands however you can uh, and not just using him as a traditional receiver. And that's good. Unfortunately, already going to be out for two more weeks. I would say don't hesitate to drop him, unfortunately, just because with the re-injury risk at the foot, the re-injury risk of hamstring injuries, as we know, is prevalent. I don't think that any team that is fighting for a playoff spot right now should be waiting on Debo Samuel to come back and help them. With that said, if you are content, you know, you know, you're contending, you're probably pretty set for a playoff spot. Debo Samuel's a pretty decent stash if he does end up on your waiver wire. Cause if he comes back healthy, I mean, he was really, really good and getting pretty good usage so far since coming back from that foot injury. Anything to add there, Jeff? Uh nah. Just unfortunate. Yeah. 100%. We were both big fans of him as prospects. Obviously, I'm a little biased considering he's a Gamecock, but still, um, unfortunate indeed. Jeff, Chris Carson came away with a, quote, not significant foot uh, foot sprain, and it was a middle foot sprain, I believe it was, which is always kind of a little foreboding. Um, Carlos Hyde came in, looked good, saw 15 carries, pretty productive, got a touchdown, and left with his own injury, a hamstring. So, Jeff, how are you handling the Seattle backfield? Is there any name you're keeping your eye on? You know, if you have Chris Carson, uh, if you're a manager with Chris Carson on your team, how are you handling that? So on and so forth. I think Travis Homer is the guy to look at here. Uh, He would be the RB uh, starting running back if Carson and Hyde are not able to go. And, I mean, like, you know, there's not going to be much competition behind him. So, you know, I guess you can just fire him up as, like, lower end rb2 if you're the carson owner need someone to plug in he's a good guy good free agent grab i mean he looked decent in spots last year when like i mean when they had marshall on the engine i mean homer looked better than marshall so i mean i think he's a capable running back and but, but also i think it's probably better for metcalf and lockett and that they'll hopefully just air the ball out more yeah i mean i think the volume that Tyler Lockett saw this past week was just unbelievable. That actually takes us right into our fantasy football takeaways segment. Um, And my first question, Jeff, is what to make of Tyler Lockett's chart shattering week seven usage. I think with the exception of maybe Keenan Allen in week three, maybe it was when he got 20 targets. This is probably the the highest single rock game that we've seen. Uh, Don't quote me on it. I haven't I haven't checked that out yet. But I mean, 20 targets, 15 catches, three touchdowns, 200 yards on the nose. That is, I mean, that's just completely unbelievable. Um, you probably weren't even touching a GPP uh, win unless you had Tyler Lockett in your lineup. And, you know, this is something we know is 100% in the range of outcomes. D- DK Metcalf was healthy, but busy between making 100-yard chase down tackles, which was amazing. If you didn't see that, check it out. I tweeted a video of it as well. It's just unbelievable play. Doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Um, and between that, well, doesn't show up on our fantasy statute unless you're IDP. I, does that actually count? I've never played an IDP league. Uh, yeah, if, yeah, I have them in one league and they counted. I got like a, two points for it, I think, actually. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. I like that. I have uh, I have such a good stat. It's Ross. I have Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. Oh, I love that. You paid premium for that, too. It was not awful value. Well, and good. AJ Brown. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, so, so DK Metcalf was you know busy between doing that and also dealing with Patrick Peterson. So I think Jeff coming away from this, and I was, he had I was, a touchdown called back. He did. He did. He also had five targets. Uh, however, that's a quarter of what Tyler Lockett saw. Um, so basically I think the takeaway here is that Tyler Lockett offers still offers the most consistent floor in this passing offense. 
And I think it's pretty easy to say he rivals DK ceiling each week, considering we just saw him do this in week seven. Um, would I rather have DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett? After week seven, it's kind of tough because, we, I mean, DK Metcalf hasn't sniffed that kind of usage. But we also know that DK Metcalf was basically a lock for like a 40, 50 yard touchdown every week before that. Uh, Jeff, what say you? Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf rest of season? I mean, it's 1A, 1B. Don't forget after week five when they went into their bye week, Metcalf was like within a tenth, couple of tenths of a point from being the overall wide receiver one. So, you know, it's just going to be a little back and forth. I like them both a ton. So. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, okay, moving on now. I am sorry to Jamal Williams. I promised my friend Jack that I would say this, and it's 100% warranted. I slandered Jamal Williams uh, in, the, in the summer when Jack and I talked about snake draft strategy, and Jack took over the mic and, and asked me some questions. Um, basically, I discounted the fact that Aaron Rodgers came out and said Jamal Williams is the most um, improved player on offense from this summer. And I also just kind of discounted that Jamal Williams has had flashes in in the last season and a half, um, cap you know capitalized by this past week where he looked really good and put up real fantasy numbers. Um, so I just got to say, I'm sorry, Jamal Williams, man. You've always been a, a fun guy to root for because you're you know a, a fun guy off the field. And I think Jamal Williams has really just evolved from the like 3.3 yards per carry type grinder. Whereas Aaron Jones was this efficient lightning spark, um, you know, since that situation, Jamal Williams has really evolved. He's a great pass catcher. And obviously, if Aaron Jones's absence uh, extends into next week or beyond, Williams is probably the play you want to make. Jeff, man, what to make of this A.J. Dillon situation? Second round pick only saw like 14 snaps, five carries, didn't look that good. You know, didn't get like a ton of great opportunities, I suppose, but. That's also kind of an indication, right? What are your what are your takeaways from Green Bay in week seven? Uh yeah, I don't think AJ Dillon's really worth rostering. Um, and, you know, if Jones misses more time, absolutely fired up Jamal Williams. But um, yeah, I mean, and then if Jones is back, hang on to Jamal Williams in case it, you know, reaggravates or maybe becomes like a little bit more of a committee situation. And, you know, actually, we might have had a little better week in DFS if you didn't make me swap out some Jamal Williams or A.J. Dillon. We might have. We might have. I mean, I think you could I think you can point to some of the other calls that I made early in the year, though, Jeff, that I didn't I didn't tap too hard, but were definitely calls that we should have hit even harder. So, you know, it happens. Uh, I will say this traditional season long, definitely drop A.J. Dillon. Uh, I'm a huge fan of him as a prospect, but. This was the week that you would expect to see him get an expanded role. And tech, I mean, technically he did, but come on. I mean, that was that's not anything that inspires confidence. I think if you're in some sort of dynasty or or keeper format, he's still an interesting hold in the event that Aaron Jones does not get re-signed. Jamal Williams does not get re-signed. They drafted him in the second round for a reason. So I still think he has some sort of long, long-term um, I guess optimism is there. But anyway, we'll move on now. Um so, Jeff, are you buying or selling Panthers head coach Matt Rule saying that Mike Davis will play when Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey is back healthy? It doesn't look like it's going to be this week. Uh, there's a chance it's this week. He's, he's pushing for it, but it doesn't look like it's this week. So maybe let's say week nine, if Christian McCaffrey is healthy, are you buying or selling Mike Davis cutting into his workload? I'm definitely buying. I mean, keep in mind that Christian McCaffrey had an absurd 97% like, snap rate. So, 
I think, you know, that's like borderline unsustainable anyways. And I mean, coming back from the injury, why wouldn't Carolina want to maybe bring that down to a little more sustainable 70, 75% uh, you know, running back share and, you know, preserve his health, especially when you have him locked up at such a big price tag for a few years, um, you know, like, okay, now what if you run him back out there at his full workload and he gets hurt and now you're just stuck eating $16 million for a banked up running back for three seasons. So yeah, I absolutely think Mike Davis is going to play. Um, I doubt it'll be enough to really warrant a ton of fantasy value, but it'll be like just enough to kind of bring CMC down from like that absurd, like RB1, like tier by himself into kind of more just like, over like general rb1 tier yeah i think the the only thing like you know assuming we have an actual healthy christian mccaffrey not a hobbled you know 50 percent version of himself i think the only thing that really maintains fantasy value for mike davis is if we see christian mccaffrey used maybe out of the slot or out wide trying to get mismatched outside uh and then mike davis is actually used out of the backfield if that were to happen which i think is a pretty useful strategy i think that would probably work pretty well for carolina if that were to happen i think mike davis probably sees enough looks to warrant fantasy consideration to be completely honest i don't know that that is uh, a realistic expectation i think if anything mike davis is just like clearly the best handcuff in, in fantasy based on the way he's played in uh in, in uh, christian mccaffrey's stead including last week you know he didn't have a great great week at all but Still, I mean, he's been one of the most elusive players. He's gotten incredible, incredible usage. So good on him. Been a longtime fan of his since his Carolina days, uh, South Carolina days, that is. So uh, good stuff there. Um, Jeff, Tyler Boyd, locked in wide receiver two. I'm putting my stamp on it, man. 13 targets in week seven, 11 catches, 101 yards and a touchdown, chipped in a nice 16-yard completion as a passer as well. Uh, Before you say T. Higgins or A.J. Green, let me say this. He led the NFL in receiving tar- sorry in red zone targets the last three weeks with eight, which is almost triple what the Rock has for AJ Green and T Higgins combined. They have a total of three. So even though his target share and air, and air yard share aren't that high relative to other players in his tier, the pure pl- pass volume in Cincinnati is enough to buoy Boyd uh, even in weeks where they're you know more vertically inclined. Looking at the big play threats in Higgins and AJ Green, so. Jeff, is Tyler Boyd now a locked-in wide receiver too, despite the emergence of T. Higgins and the revitalization the last two weeks of A.J. Green? Yeah, probably. I mean, like you said, this is a team that's dropping back to pass. Uh, Almost 50 just, times. Yeah. I mean, like whenever the, whenever the quarterback's going to throw the ball 50 times, you know, you, it expands the offense. Uh, I do think they threw a little bit more this week in part just because Mixon was out, but like, it's still, even with Mixon healthy, like they're just throwing the ball, like it will or not at will, but um, you know, almost every play. Yeah. I mean, from a PPR standpoint, Tyler Boyd is like exactly the type of floor player you want. Uh, if you're targeting someone like that, because he's only seen less than eight targets two times out of seven games. Uh, he's seen 13 targets twice only two touchdowns on the year but i think uh, i mean if you watch week seven he was getting targeted a lot joe burrow was looking at him down the seam across the middle in the red zone uh that obviously helped his red zone target numbers uh soar yeah, he's he's filling that uh, justin jefferson role from the lsu offense yeah exactly and you know that was actually what i had in my in my uh, preseason 
ranking write-up for him was that he was going to be the Justin Jefferson type player for Joe Burrow. And I think that produced something like 1,800 yards and 20 touchdowns or something like that, 100-something catches. So Joe Burrow is – or sorry, excuse me, uh, Tyler Boyd is killing it right now, paying off at a really, really reasonable investment from the summer drafts. Um, now, Jeff, Jalen Rigor, guy we've talked a lot about but not recently, he has been designated to return as of Monday. So this opens up the 21-day window uh, in which he could be activated from uh, injured reserve. So it's now a time to sell high on Travis Fulgham with the expectation that Jalen Rigor is going to come back in and vie for the wide receiver one role. No, um, I mean, you still need multiple receivers in an offense. Sean Jackson suffered a rough injury on a brutal late hit that was completely uncalled for. Travis Ertz is dust and injured. Dallas Goddard is still injured. Alshon Jeffrey, I'm not even sure if he exists anymore. So, I mean, even when Regor comes back, it's Regor and his Fulgham. And then who's next? Rookie John Hightower? Uh, you know, like, no. So Travis Fulgham still going to be a starting wide receiver in that offense, even with Jay and Regor. And, you know, it could actually possibly make the offense a little bit better. I think you're right. I think Travis Fulgham is going to maintain utility. I just don't think we can expect this high-end wide receiver two, maybe even wide receiver one usage that he had been seeing. Um, you know, he still is number two in rock the last three weeks. I think if Jalen Rager comes back, we saw some really encouraging air yard numbers for him. We, I, I think you and I are both on the same wavelength in terms of the talent there. And so, uh, yeah, Travis Fulgham is still going to be useful. I just don't, I think this is probably the peak of his value before Jalen Rager returns. I could be wrong on that. I mean, Rager could just end up being the complimentary piece in his rookie year. Uh, obviously he hasn't had a lot of time to adapt to the NFL game. So we'll see. Um, and, you know, that's another thing just to, to add there is Jalen Regor should probably be back in the next week or so, you know, maybe before this this matchup this week, uh, but more likely probably a week or so from then. So keep an eye on him on your waiver wire as well if you have depth or if you if you have room to add some more depth. Um, Leonard Fournette, Jeff, in Tampa Bay outsnapped and outgained Ronald Jones in week seven for another time this season. Uh, kind of like I said a few weeks ago, this is going to remain a committee, man. I mean, people still are getting like all caught up in in a single week's out, a box score from Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette. I think it's, it's just going to continue to disappoint you if you have any, an expectation of anything but this. So, am I wrong to to expect uh, this to be a fluky performance for Leonard Fournette in the sense that he's not going to be the lead back every week, and vice versa for Ronald Jones? I think so. Um, I don't know Bruce Arians to the extent you can actually trust anything he says these days. Um, basically said that Fournette was their quote unquote like nickel running back. Uh, but then they were going to use Rojo against more standard fronts. Uh, but I mean, can't put much stock into what he's saying. And also, but if if you do, I would expect them to see a lot of nickel looks with the receivers are going to be running out there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like it's going to be almost like a San Francisco backfield, perhaps. Yeah, well said. Uh, I think Leonard Fournette is clearly the preferred pass game option for them. Problem is, there's a lot of other mouths to feed, as we've already discussed. So I don't know that either is really that appealing. Uh, DFS wise, it's it's a uh, it's probably decent to take a chance because they're both actually being pretty productive with this great offensive line and really productive offense. So um, Jeff, following up on our rookie RB coverage from last week, some big time rookie performances, starting with Antonio Gibson, uh, starting with James Robinson. Starting with James Robinson, sure, sure. We've already talked a little bit about him, but I mean, he was unbelievable. 
Uh, I did, mean, you see, did you see that touchdown where he like posted up, capped himself in the air just long enough to reach the ball over the goal line? Yeah, he's he's a, he's really a, a strong player. I mean, I think that it's almost like he heard what I said last week, where I was like, he's not that inspiring of an ath- of a, of a talent, um, and that is really buoyed by the volume. Well, guess what? He kind of showed both last week. So uh, good on you, James Robinson. Another big time performance was Antonio Gibson, and Jeff, I'll give you credit for a great call saying that his breakout would start this past week against a terrible Dallas front. That matchup proved to be very, very fruitful for Gibbs' season. Uh, he rushed for a career high by far, 20 carries, 128 yards, and a touchdown, ripping off chunk gains all the way from you know the start where they technically started Peyton Barber. I don't know what the hell teams are doing, wait, throwing carries down the well with Peyton Barber. I've been raging about it since week one. They finally stopped, then they went back to it. Well, anyway, that Gibbs season didn't didn't put up with that for very long. He just erupted after that point. Uh, it's worth noting he only saw one target, but I've seen some people online saying, uh, you know, he's game script dependent. Blah, blah blah. Dude, he saw five targets in each of the in the three games before that. So if anything, I think this was just happened to be a game script that didn't require his pass game usage. Uh, and so he did drop his only target on a, a little a short screen to the side, but it is what it is. Um, and then, you know, another rookie that had, a, I think, a pretty quietly great game was DeAndre Swift, Jeff. He's emerged as the RB1A finally and saw the most backfield snaps, four targets, nine carries and a touchdown. Are you buying that DeAndre Swift is officially in the RB2 conversation or is he still in the flex range for you? You know, his usage, 13 touches, is pretty good. Uh, you know, I'd say that's likely a lower-end RB2 range. Uh, you know, his production has been a little buoyed by touchdowns the last couple of weeks. Um, but the good news is he is getting more red zone work, whereas that was almost exclusively going to Adrian Peterson earlier in the year. So I think he's prob- he's like a locked-in RB2 at this point. Okay, good stuff. Um Jeff, Henry Ruggs, another rookie, was a popular ad after his two-catch, 118-yard performance with a touchdown in Week 5. Now they had a Week 6 bye, and coming off of that, Ruggs once again saw just three targets. He has lacked any sort of usage that would warrant his draft selection or inspire any confidence, uh, especially from a fantasy perspective. He's just not getting any anywhere close to something that we could bank on. Uh, he's absolutely just a, a you know high-volatility dart throw, if anything, uh, at a flex spot. Despite relatively weak and injured wide receiver core around him, he just has not been able to carve anything out. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong here, but Henry Ruggs belongs on the waiver wire. Yeah, outside of deep leagues. I mean, Nelson Aguilar is the wide receiver one, which is unbelievable, man. something I expect to be saying. But, well, I mean, Darren Waller is like probably the number one receiving target. but Definitely, definitely. Then Nelson Aguilar is like the top wide receiver. I mean, he had a really great touchdown catch over the middle. Too. He did. He did. He, he's Aguilar's always been able to like perform well. It just he 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 ran himself out of Philly by just not performing in the right spots. Um, I, I also think Aguilar. that <laughs> I think our uh, our fear about Henry Ruggs. I mean, basically the way I articulated it all summer long was that I'm worried that he would not be used in a way that that his skill set warrants. And it's not you know I was worried that he was going to get pigeonholed into a deep threat role running go routes constantly, whereas Derek Carr is not a quarterback who really likes to utilize that type of player. Well, guess what? That's exactly what's been the case so far. When Henry Ruggs has been healthy, he's basically just been a vertical receiver, and he's basically gotten like three targets every week except for one. So, uh, you know, maybe that'll pan out. 
If Derek Carr changes, I don't think we're going to see Derek Carr change. And Raiders have had a pretty successful season so far doing what they're doing. So uh, more so just feels like a wasted first round pick in 2020, at least. Um, Christian Kirk, Jeff, five catches, 38 yards, but most importantly, two touchdowns after two for 86 and a touchdown in week six. Uh, we know Seattle is as easy as it comes for opposing wide receivers. But Jeff, are you buying Christian Kirk's revival the last two weeks with three touchdowns over 100 yards? Um, yeah, I'm getting there. I think I still maybe have him as, as more wide receiver three with like obviously some really solid upside. Um, you know, last week he only had, I think, three targets. Uh, granted, one of them was that 75, 80 yard touchdown. The eight targets this week is a lot more promising. Of course, then you only had 37 yards. Uh, <clears throat> but Kyler's also looking a little bit better as a passer. And uh, I think Kirk was playing a little banged up to start the year. So it's also like a good sign that his health is getting better. Um, so, yeah, I still think he's a little bit more wide receiver three range, but like uh, on the trend upwards for sure. Yeah, I think uh, Arizona is is finally starting to do what we want them to do. I think Chase Edmonds is you know obviously a huge part of that, just being actually like a really useful piece out of the backfield. Kyler Murray's legs obviously continue to be electric. Uh, Christian Kirk saw eight targets. Larry Fitzgerald saw eight targets. DeAndre Hopkins saw 12 targets. There's a lot of volume going on. I think Christian Kirk, Kirk probably needs to see a larger share of this offense in order to have a weekly utility. But, I mean, I cannot deny that he has been, uh, you know, at least a, a very encouraging part of this offense past two weeks. Jeff, what is there to make of Cam Newton and New England's dismantling at the hands of the 49ers in week seven? Are you concerned about any shares of this offense going forward in season-long leagues? I think, I think you have to be. Um, this is back-to-back weeks where the offense has not gotten going. Uh, Cam basically salvaged all of his fantasy value in week six, just based on some running like in the fourth quarter, just trying to force something to happen. Um, throwing the ball, he just looks off. Like his mechanics really just weren't there. Um, and and if he's like if they're stuttering, then the, like the entire offense has no fantasy value aside from Cam. Really, um, I think they could be uh, on the trade market for looking to get another wide receiver uh, with the deadline coming up, which would hopefully be work out better than this new trade, at least for fantasy purposes, for Buffalo Bills fan purposes. Kind of hope it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> um, so, I mean, I feel like Cam, you probably should be firing him up. Um, the Bills defense hasn't been fantastic. So um, I think that's a better matchup than it appears to be. Uh, but then if, if they don't get off, like if they don't play well this coming week, you could probably like stream better. I mean, would you rather stream if Joe, let's say Joe Burrow's out there in the waiver wire, would you rather stream him going up against Tennessee this week or play Cam going into Buffalo? I mean, I just think that Cam Newton's game is not going to be as a passer. I mean, he's, they've only got three pass catch, passing touchdowns, I should say. Uh, this season so far and his game from a fantasy quarterback standpoint is his running and I don't think that we've seen him like really fall off or be unhealthy in that regard I just think that the game has gotten away from New England the past two weeks and I also think that you know Bill Belichick said there there are no residual effects of Cam Newton's COVID uh, positive tests and and you know diagnosis there um, I don't necessarily know that that is 100% the truth I, I don't think that we're entitled to that information personally 
but uh, he just hasn't looked the same. He is throwing the ball into the dirt. Like, he has looked not good as a passer. But the good news is that I think these are fluky games. Like, if he, if he had started, if this was week, weeks one and two, I'd be like, oh, my God. Apparently, every team was right and justified in not paying Cam Newton this offseason. But we've already seen him be you know, an effective passer and a very, very good runner. So if I had to put my money on it, I would say Cam Newton's going to bounce back. And I think that week eight against Buffalo is a pretty reasonable place for him to do it, considering we've been really, really weak against the run. Okay, but the only game that we've really seen him do well as a passer was against Seattle. And we know now like that secondary is awful. So it's like if we've only seen him have one good game as a passer against one of the worst secondaries in the league, and he's been like average to bad against everyone else, is he maybe he is a little bit more matchup dependent than we like thought. I'll say this. I mean, he he only threw it more than 30 times one time and that was against Seattle. Other than that, though, he's been like kind of more of a complimenting his rushing with his passing. That's what I'm saying. He's basically like a high end RB2 at quarterback. Uh, who can also throw for, for for passing yards and such. Like he had his rushing lines uh, through the season so far, 15 for 75, two touchdowns, 11 for 47, two touchdowns, nine for 27, no touchdowns. And then he's out for week four, bye in week five. In week six, 10 for 76 and a touchdown. And then in week seven, five for 19, no touchdowns. So, I mean, we're basically looking at him like a, a really good running back who also gets to play quarterback and if, I, if I'm being honest, I think that his best passing days are probably ahead of him. Like he threw for almost 400 yards and a touchdown against Seattle, like you said. But I think Cam Newton's probably still learning the offense. I think they're probably still getting used to having this kind of weapon under center after 20 years of Brady. So I still think the best days are probably ahead of him, ahead for him. And I think what's really encouraging is that, uh, you know, with the exception of last week in week seven, he's been an unbelievable rushing threat at the quarterback position. We know that the Konami code is is uh, very much uh, a factor in 2020 fantasy football. Um, Okay, let's move on to the waiver wire section now, Jeff. And we're going to start with the running backs and going back to San Francisco. We already mentioned that Jeff Wilson is now injured after that great, great game. Raheem Mostert's still injured. Jarek McKinnon was supposedly given a rest week, basically, by Kyle Shanahan. They had been giving him a lot of work, and then all of a sudden he gets like three carries uh, in garbage time. And so basically was just not asked to do anything in week seven, according to, uh, the head coach, but Jamichael hasty was a very popular sleeper pick in the summer. Uh, I believe he was an undrafted free agent, pretty interesting athletic measurables in terms of his burst score. Well, nine for 56 rushing one for 16 receiving and looked pretty good. But I think what really matters here is just who's going to get the ball. I mean, I can't really say it any more than I already have, man. The hot Shanahan, this scheme, it makes the running back. And Jermichael Hasty looks like he might be the running back. I mean, Tevin Coleman could return. We'll see on that. Jarek McKinnon could resume the top role. But, I mean, if you're looking for a speculative, high upside running back to maybe carry you through the second half of the season or be, you know, maybe uh, every couple weeks useful flex, that sort of thing, Jermichael Hasty seems like an interesting bet. What, what say you, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, I told you guys to pick him up last week. So, um, but yeah, go ahead, pick him up. Like, we have no idea what's going to happen this Sunday. So it's going to be tough to be super, uh, you know, to feel safe firing up either Hasty or McKinnon, um, especially if Tevin Coleman is activated. I think the hope if you're a fantasy manager 
who own uh, has Hasty or McKinnon on your roster is Coleman's not activated. The workload's going to get split between the two. Maybe it's 60-40 one way or another. And But as you've said, basically, if you're running back in that offense with a 35-40% uh, rushing share, they're both like I mean, McKinnon's explosive enough to just, you know, salvage his fantasy week with one play. If he ends up being kind of like the 1B, um, Hasty is probably a little bit um, shakier if just we don't know who's going to be starting. But like you said, I mean, 56 yards on nine carries isn't awful. We could easily see that go up to like 15 carries and all of a sudden looking at like a decent RB2. Um, you know, if those Jeff Wilson three rushing touchdowns get split two to one either way, you're looking at a good fancy game for either. Um, so I think they both belong on rosters. Their shaky flex starts this week with a huge upside and like no floor. Yep. Well, well said. Uh, moving on to another speculative ad, Michael Pirine. Uh, 70% snaps in week seven, 11 for 39 against a weak Buffalo defense uh, is, isn't great. But he's usable, and he saw three targets. I think he's definitely an upgrade over Frank Gore, but probably can't expect to see much of a bell cow role emerge, even with so little in, in the running back room, uh, as long as Frank Gore is still kicking. So I think LaMichael Pirine, you know, there's a chance he could prove me wrong in that regard. Uh, so, I mean, I think he's worth a speculative ad. Anytime a receiver's or a running back is getting 70% of snaps, probably means that he could be a flex in any given week. I just don't think that the ceiling is that high, considering he didn't do really all that much against a, a pretty noticeably weak run defense. Um, but Jeff, I want to go back to New England real quick, and that's because Damian Harris has been the only bright spot on the New England offense the past two weeks, uh, I think, and he gets a weak Buffalo defense in week eight, 10 for 58 and one for 12 receiving uh, in week seven, largely relegated to the Mich- Sony Michelle-esque rushing role, rendering him basically game script dependent. But at the same time, I'd expect Cam and this offense to come out angry after an embarrassing week seven. I think they're going to bounce back. And I think any time that there is a good rushing matchup uh, and a good rushing game script, Damian Harris is going to do pretty well. So any uh, any issues with Damian Harris as a uh, solid waiver wire ad if he's out there? No, absolutely. I don't I don't think he should be on waiver wires. Agreed. Okay. Um, I'll say one last thing. Absolutely desperate players could add and play Wayne Gallman. New York Giants uh, presumed RB1 going into week eight. Uh, He's been more efficient than Devontae Freeman, who left week seven with an ankle injury. You know, we'll see what happens with Devontae Freeman. Uh, So monitor his his uh, injury status this week. But Gallman had 10 for 34 and a touchdown rushing. Uh, Probably more importantly, five for five targets, uh, 20 yards receiving on those five targets and five catches. Tampa Bay is a tough matchup. That's who they have in week eight. But he's out there in almost every league. I think he's available in 99.9% of leagues. So uh, I think Gallman, like I said, desperation flex play, desperation RB2 play. I mean, he's probably better than Devontae Freeman at this point. This offense has been a little bit better than I was expecting. So maybe worth an ad. Um, But Jeff, let's move on to the wide receiver section now. Uh, We already talked about Cleveland at the top of the show. But Richard Higgins played on every drop back this past week, including when OBJ was still healthy. He also led the league, uh, sorry, led the team in receiving yards, including big time catches in crunch time. Ended with six targets, six catches, 110 receiving yards. He also caught touchdowns the prior two weeks. Now, week nine buys incoming, so don't think you can use him 
uh, both of the next two weeks, but very worthwhile ad in my opinion, because I think he's got rest of season flex utility and upside for more, knowing that OBJ is not going to be on the field the rest of the season. Um, and then another guy who obviously uh, benefits from one of the injuries we discussed earlier is Brandon Ayuk in San Francisco. Now, Debo Samuel out for the next two weeks, it looks like at least with uh, this hamstring injury, Brandon Ayuk already led the team in receiving this week, six catches, I think it was 116 yards. Uh, he's been a rack mo- or a yak monster, um, exactly as people predicted coming out of college, uh, people expected in the scheme. So he has he has fulfilled what people thought they were uh, San Francisco was getting in the first round. And so good on you, Brandon Ayuk. Proved me wrong on that front so far. Um, but yeah, Jeff, I think Brandon Ayuk is a really interesting ad as well because without Debo Samuel, I mean, we really basically have George Kittle, the running game, and then like no one else. So I think Brandon Ayuk is definitely a worthwhile ad. Uh, could be a useful flex any week that Debo Samuel is not in the lineup. And I mean, he was even better than Debo Samuel in week seven with him in. So any disagreement there? No, no. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo's got like a like a sub six yard a dot. I think. I mean, it's just absurd. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I just. I mean, he's like doing what he's asked to do, but he's basically, like, you know, might be a worse Jared Goff at this point. I mean, I like him, but like, he's not doing anything. He's just kind of Shanahan's just like getting someone open a couple yards from the line of scrimmage and saying, here, throw it to him. Yeah. I mean, I guess my, not necessarily counterpoint, but I think just the explanation for that is that that's what they've needed to do to be successful, to win. They're doing well with that yeah, it's working. scheme. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm San Francisco though. Like I'm trying to tamper with tamper with Dak right now. Oh man, oh man, that would be so much fun. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean it's like illegal, but like, hey, you know, if you have to pay a fine to get a massive QB upgrade and like actually unlock a downfield passing attack, I mean, that's fine. It's worth it. Uh, that would be yeah. so much fun to see. Yeah, so, I mean, look at what, like when Shanahan was in Atlanta and he had Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. So, like, yes, like I look at it, like, yeah, this offense is working. It's effective. But think about how much more dangerous it could be if you had a field stretcher. I mean, obviously, there's only one Julio, but, like, even, if, like, Allen Robinson or, uh, you know, someone who's attacked downfield better, and then a quarterback who throws that, throws that ball well. Um, I don't know. It would just be, like, a whole other dimension. And then if the defense has to respect that, like – then it opens up the running game even more. I don't know. It would just be pretty unfair. That would be one of the coolest things we could see from this offseason uh, is to see Dak Prescott end up in San Francisco. Um, okay, moving on to the tight end section of the waiver wire segment, Jeff. Harrison Bryant, we already mentioned him, also a member of this Cleveland uh, pass-catching core. He led the position in tight end scoring in week seven and half PPR. Unsure if Austin Hooper is going to be back this week, but – I think that going forward, especially if David Njoku is traded, I mean, Harrison Bryant's already working over David Njoku, so let's be clear about that. But if David Njoku is traded, that secondary tight end role is even more so up for grabs. I think that there is a chance with the OBJ injury that Harrison Bryant could quietly have a Dallas Goddard-esque weekly utility role uh, with this thin wide receiver core, with Jarvis Landry still struggling and banged up, with Nick Chubb still not active. I think there's a chance that Harrison Bryant could be that like third, fourth receiving option, and they might just go to 12 personnel as their their uh, their number one pass set. What are your thoughts on that one? Oh, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, Hooper, I think he had his appendix removed, right? So, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I think he's probably going to be out at least one more week. I mean, I'm not, I would assume that getting an organ removed is longer than like a few days absence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which, I mean, if that's the case, you can absolutely fire up Harrison Bryant in week eight. And then, you know, if he plays well again, like this kind of can't put the genie back in the bottle in that case, I wouldn't think. And, so yeah, he's absolutely worth a waiver wire add at a very weak tight end position. Yeah, I mean he had the two touchdowns in in, in week seven. Uh, rookie tight ends typically struggle. We're typically not ever going to rely on rookie tight ends to do anything in fantasy, just because it's just such a learning curve. Uh, however, I've been stashing Harrison Bryant and, and SFBX Jeff as we've talked about, and he really really came in clutch because I've also got Baker Mayfield. So. Uh, you know, stashing him as, as a tight end stack there has worked out really well, at least last week. And uh, I, I'm going to continue to play him until Austin Hooper tells me otherwise. Um, Albert Okuegnum was a sleeper tight end prospect of mine this draft, ending as my tight end five and 98th overall prospect. I thought it was a really weak tight end class. And Albert O was definitely not a perfect prospect, but I thought he had the perfect landing spot in Denver. As he and Drew Locke played really well together at Missouri, that was during Drew Locke's best statistical season. Alberto was really non-factor outside of that, despite his like six-six frame and unbelievable straight-line athleticism. Well, guess what, Jeff? Week seven, seven targets, seven catches, sixty yards receiving. As Denver continues to face injuries in their pass-catching core, uh, and you know Philip Lindsay was looking really good, and then he went out as well. So I just think that the competition for touches is, is shrinking as Albert O's role is improving. Now, he had 13 targets the last two weeks, including six in week six. Uh, Noah Fant missed week six and and tied Albert O's targets in week seven. So I think he's a really interesting player to keep your eye on as a savvy ad for deep tight end premium leagues. I mean, we should not be... I really, really hope none of you guys are deploying Albert O in a traditional 12 or 10 team league because, I mean, that just speaks to the the lack of depth that that you're able to acquire. But other than that, man, I think Albert O is, uh, I mean, is another guy that, that could be a third or fourth option on his passing uh, and his passing attack, considering just the state of things in Denver. Let's move on to our Bills recap from week seven. And Jeff, I'm going to kick it over to you here. I want to get your thoughts on how the Bills looked against the Jets. And obviously, uh, you know, 18 to 10 finish, not what we were expecting. Um I think in some ways a little predictable uh, letdown from the Bills considering the Jets always play the Bills pretty tough, I think. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I, I was definitely expecting the Bills to have a get-right game and really look dominant. Um, that's not what we saw, but a lot of it was had to do with penalties and, and and there were still some bright spots. So, you know, what were your takeaways from Week 7 with the Bills? Well, after giving up a, I think, nine-yard play, to start the second half, the Jets finished that half with four total yards, I believe. So like, they went to gain negative five yards for the rest of the second half. So like, <laughs> the defense, you know, a little bit of a not great start to the game, giving up the touchdown drive and field goal. But then they just kind of like buckled in and just completely locked the Jets down, which is good. I thought the defensive line looked a lot more aggressive offensively it was a little frustrating the fact that we couldn't punch the ball into the end zone not great um i think they said this is the first time in nfl history or the first time since the 1940s a team has finished a game with zero touchdowns zero punts and won the game 
Like, so so we unbelievable. A, so we kicked a field goal basically every drive except for, I think, the Allen fumble, which, I mean, just knowing that he's fumbling the ball again. But, I mean, at least we were having scoring drives. Um, you know, you want to finish them, like, absolutely. You can't be winning games against good teams, only kicking field goals. Uh, I think it's just kind of just like a weird, fluky game. Things looked a little bit rough, but, um, you know, energy wasn't just didn't seem like it was there. And I, I mean, John Brown, like, I think we're missing him a lot more than anticipated. Also, throwing, like, we had no tight ends besides Tyler Croft. Yeah, I mean, the, the tight end room, I don't know if people have heard, but the tight end room was kind of decimated by COVID. Uh, Tyler Croft was spared from it, as Adam Schefter reported, because he had a, a baby that caused him to be absent from the rest of the tight end room. And um, I think it was Dawson Knox had the positive test and then everyone else was put on the COVID list due to possible exposure. I don't think we've had any other positive tests. It could be wrong on that. But anyway, yeah, I, I think all things considered, hey, you still you still got to win, right? We're still five and two. Um, I think that the Bills arrow is still trending up. It's just you'd really like to, you know, Josh Allen, like we'd really like our red zone struggles to not occur during a pretty poor team overall, but Hey, it is what it is. Um, I think the good news is that Tyler Bass has struggled at times this year and actually looked pretty decent, I guess. Um, and this one, I mean, overall, I mean, it's not what I was expecting, not what I was hoping for still a W so could have been worse. Jeff, any final thoughts here as we wrap up episode 56, our week seven recap? Uh, no, nah, it was just kind of, uh, I don't say it was like a weird week, but, uh, some players that had been hitting didn't some players absolutely went off and I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a good rest of the NFL season. I think, uh, you know, it looks like the teams are managing COVID outbreaks or potential outbreaks better. Like you mentioned the bills tight end room in for the Vegas Raiders, they had uh Trent Brown, uh, test positive and then had to get their entire OL into um, isolation for the rest of the week. And it sounds like there's been no positive testing there. So we're still going to see some positive individuals pop up throughout the season. I think the hope is that teams are like doing a good job managing it from not spreading within the clubhouse though. And hopefully like, and so just hopefully we have like, pretty smooth sailing the rest of the year like as much as possible yeah i think uh you know like i said early on in the in this process as long as we recognize realities here um i think that this season can continue and that this season can still be a success like you said it looks like things have been trending in the right direction again in that regard so hope that that continues and we can continue you know into the second half of this nfl football season um in terms of the second half of this week make sure to sign up for the Contested Catch Up, our weekly newsletter that goes out on Thursdays. Uh, you can find that at Contested Catch on Twitter. Uh, I always tweet about that, but also contestedcatch.com forward slash catch dash up. You can also check out the tools that we often reference, our DFS optimizer tool, uh, contestedcatch.com forward slash GFS, and then contestedcatch.com forward slash ROC for the rock score. Of course, if you need to reach us or want to reach out at and submit any questions for the shows that we have later in this week, you know where to find Jeff at Buff Bill Stats with one F at Contessa Catch for me. Make sure to tune into episode 57 and 58. Those will be respectively our buys and sells for week eight and our week eight preview coming out on Friday. So with that said, thank you all for tuning in. 
We appreciate you guys. Good luck on the waiver wire this week. We hope you tune in later and we will catch you next time.